Okay, so fantastic to be here. So lovely to see you all on this gorgeous Saturday morning in the sunshine. Please add your name and say hello, say good morning, where you're from. Pop that into the chat box so we can get a sense of who's in the room. Uh, We're still letting people in, so just um, grab your cake. Does anyone have cake? Porridge, it's not quite the same, is it? <laughs> cereal we've got, bars. We've got porridge, we've got cereal bars, we've got Oxfordshire, we've got Surrey, we've got Northern Ireland. Where are you from? I know we've got Sarah, she mentioned earlier, she's from Kent. We've got Bolton, Knotts, Leeds, Cumbria, Kent, Leeds, North London, Kenya, hello, Scotland, Rumbling Bridge, North Yorkshire, Bucks, Dundee, Bedfordshire. We've got a smoothie in County Durham, Surrey. Wow. So listen, we are so connected. We are together in this space, which is fantastic. Glasgow, Stoke-on-Trent and more Leeds, uh, which is wonderful. So what I'm thinking this morning is this is just a really exciting um, morning, really. And... I wanted to do this for a number of reasons. So I thought it'd be worth kind of explaining my motivation for doing this because all the people here will have their own book launches. But bringing us together in a kind of collective space is really around understanding, firstly, that we are not alone Sometimes there can be that feeling, can't there, that, you know, we're out there trying to do what we're trying to do. And uh, it's um, we're trying to carry messages that sometimes aren't always understood or aren't always heard. So I wanted to bring us all together to kind of really get a sense of that. And also just to let you know that there is so much literature out there to draw upon. And there are so many fantastic books being released this year. Um, Now, I did say hello to Sarah at the beginning of this. Now, Sarah would have been on the original advert, but I didn't know that her book was out. So I'm inviting Sarah, who also has a book coming out this year, to pop her link into the chat box. And I'd like you to keep an eye on the chat box because throughout this um, session, there will be people's links dropping into the chat box so that you don't have to go off rummaging. I really want that book. Where am I going to get it from? So you can go and find those books with ease. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to Chrissy. Chrissy is somebody who throughout the pandemic really has been at so many events of mine looking after everybody. If they get stuck in the waiting room or get lost somewhere, Chrissy will come and find you with a cup of tea and some cake and bring you back in and make sure you're okay. Chrissy, would you like to just say hello to everybody? Hi, everyone. Yeah, if you get thrown out at any point, I shall be looking for you and bring you back. Okay. And good morning. It's beautiful this morning. It's so beautiful. You're going to hear from Chrissy again in a minute because she is an amazing poet. So I'm thinking the format, we've got an hour, we've got coffee, we've got cake, you've parked okay, no one had any trouble parking, I trust. You're managed to find a space out there. Excellent. Um, what I'm thinking is Chrissy is going to um, 
do a poem for us because in my lovely book, now I don't have my book. I have a mock-up because I'm doing a um, photo event with books. So I had to get pretend books made up because mine isn't out yet. So I have this like mock-up book that Chrissy did um, put a, a, some of her poetry in this book at the beginning of each chapter. So she's very generously going to read one of her poems. Um, and then I thought we'll go around the metaphorical um, author room, the green room, and each author will introduce themselves and they might do a reading or certainly share about their motivation for their book and talk a bit about why, why they're here, why, why they've chosen to come and do this. And then at about 10 past 11, I was thinking we can ask some questions, um, which you can do in the chat. Uh, if you're not that comfortable, perhaps speaking in front of lots and lots of people, although I have to say we don't have the 400 who registered in the room. So that's perhaps a bit of a relief because less things can go wrong, I'm thinking. Um, and um, or if you are happy to speak, then I will invite people to ask questions. So it's entirely up to you. You can have the safety of the chat box and Chrissy will write the questions down or you can introduce yourself live and ask your question. So are we ready to go, do you think? Have I forgotten anything? Does that sound about right? Maybe actually before we do the big roundup, maybe... Um, Andy, could you just wave and say hello? Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm Andy. Don't ask me why my Sunday name is before me on the screen. Um, but I am currently a child looked after and care leader specialist at Leeds Youth Justice Service. Fantastic. Karen? Hey, uh, I'm Karen. Um, I'm a clinical psychologist and trainer and specialise in trauma. Fantastic. Um, Adele? Morning, I'm Adele. I'm a behaviour and education specialist. Fantastic. And Mark? Yeah, good morning, colleagues. I'm just jealous of Robert and Rachel who are sat outside. Robert's got the washing line empty, though. I've got five children. Mine doesn't look as empty as that. <laughs> Can we also acknowledge Jen's Easter egg has spotted that before? Jen, give us another wave of that Easter egg. I'm sure Jen had an Easter egg. She's gone shy now, but there we go. What, what is it? Let's have a look. Nice, look at that quality. But my name's Mark Finnis, and I do some work around restorative practice, relationship-based practice, coaching, and systemic system change work across lots of organisations around the country. And thanks for having me. Fantastic. And of course, I didn't introduce myself, and there'll be lots of people in here perhaps that I don't know. So my name's Lisa Cherry, and I work with... Um, systems, schools and services um, on relationship focused practice. So there we go. Um, I think we'll start now. So Chrissy, can we hand over to you for your lovely poem? And I might even, if there's time, maybe you could do your your small one that we mentioned earlier. Because everyone <laughs> yeah, that one's funny. Hi everyone, lovely to be here. So um I'm Chrissy. I, I don't know what label I'll use today. Well, poet I'll use today, but I do lots of other things. Um, so um, a while back, Lisa asked me to, to put some, if I would like to do some poems in her book. Um, 
and she gave me some topics, community, nurture and growth. Um, so I kind of do, sometimes poems just come through, like I'll be doing something and I'll just have to sit down and write them. And then sometimes I can write them around topics. And yeah, so this, so I thought as we're a lovely community, I will do the community one. So um, hope you like it. I'm going to pop my phone here as well. So here we go. Hands held, feet forward, waiting, falling, nurtured. Knowing all is cared for, that's a true love story. We meet, you are me, wounds healed, released, not alone, circled by open community. Ancestral lives, genetics breed, love answers all war cries, attached, nearby, guided, each one eternally. Endless repetition from lives of trauma, no longer needed, led by the adults, the healed children, held close, yet still set free. Oh, Christy, if you want to take your sound off everybody and make some noise. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, darling. Um, welcome. I love your poetry so much. And to bring that into the book was just, I just felt really blessed. Would you like to do your very quick, short one? Because people really like that one. Oh, yeah. So um, this one I've performed a few times. It's a very, very serious poem. So please, you know, listen carefully. Born. Stuff, stuff, stuff. Stuff, stuff, die. <laughs> That's my favourite <laughs> Fantastic, thank you. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Um, and Melissa's put in here, love your poetry. She's Welsh, so she's put banging and lush. Oh, I love um, that. <laughs> great, isn't it? Um, and we've still got people coming in saying hello. So thank you for that. So I'm going to drop uh, the first link I'm going to drop into um, the box is a free chapter sign in for my book. Um, Helen's put held close yet still set free. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much. So I'm going to start us off with our first author um, who, well, I want to sort of introduce her as, if you don't know Karen, then I'd be very surprised. Let's just say that. Um, it's with great pleasure that um, Karen is going to introduce her book and whatever else she fancies around that. Karen. Thanks so much, Lisa. And thank you, Chrissy. I always love your poetry as well. And thank you to all of you for coming on a Saturday when the sun is shining. I imagine after busy weeks to be here. So really, really appreciate it. And I think Lisa and I uh, often talk about collective care um, and being in a sort of we space together. And so it's just really nice to have lots of people. And I can see people who have um, contributed to my book. We've got Tim here. We've got Angie in Kenya, um, you know, and also there's people who Billy, who I've been to Northern Ireland and trained and Sandra in Cork. And it's just so nice to have so many familiar faces. So really, really lovely to be here. Um, 
as Lisa said, we are most of us are going to do separate book launches, so I don't want to bore people too much, but I just want to give a little flavor. Now, my book was due out last month and due to the joy of COVID kept on getting delayed. So it just arrived yesterday. Um, And just to give you a sense, my mum said that I'm going to get very strong lugging these around. There are two volumes of it's double my therapeutic treasure box. It's absolutely ginormous. It's in colour. It's a textbook. There's over uh, 30 different contributors from all over the world, Africa, Asia, um, Europe. There is reflective practice exercises. Uh, There's poetry. There's artwork. um, There's questions. It is my 11th and 12th book and the thing that... I'm most proud of that I have worked on and I'm super, super excited. But I wanted to give you a bit of a sense. Thank you, Mark. I wanted to give a bit of a sense of why I wrote it. Um, And some of you have done lots of my training, but I guess um, Trauma Informed has got a lot of momentum recently, which is amazing. But it's often used in quite a tick boxy checklist meaningless way and actually it's become the sexy word it's become the buzzword but actually it was becoming things like I'm gonna add a you know fruit bowl to my reception area and that means we're trauma informed or I'm gonna add an assessment tool or I'm gonna change a word on a website and that means we're trauma informed and I didn't want it to be diluted I wanted to get the flavor of what does that mean what does that look like And how can I take the areas of trauma and infuse it with adversity and cultural humility and human rights? And how can we look at the next stage? And many of you know that a few years ago, I was awarded the Winston Churchill Fellowship. Big up to the Winston Churchill Fellowship. Apply, apply, apply. It's open to anyone. Um, And I got some funding and I went to 14 cities across America Um, had a hundred different organizations that I visited, shadowed, interviewed to learn what is best practice in trauma-informed at an organizational level. Um, Becca, the lovely Becca who's contributed is here as well. Um, I wanted to look at what does that mean from the language that we use in our handovers, in our meetings, How do we make our team meetings more trauma-informed? What do we look at recruitment and disciplinary processes? How can we understand the interface with cultural humility? How can we look at things like well-being, staff well-being? And I really wanted to look at how do we infuse the ideas into the system, into the organisation? And my favourite quote by Alexander Denhyger is, if a flower doesn't bloom, You don't humiliate the flower. You don't blame the flower. You don't punish the flower. You don't make the environment more hostile, more oppressive. You try and create an environment which is healing, which is reparative, which is trauma reducing instead of trauma inducing. And so that's what these books in essence were. I wanted them to be real world practice. I've got police officers, I've got judges, I've got dentists, I've got surgeons who are like school head teachers, uh, local authorities. What does this look like? 
And what I wanted is for it to be very uh, workbooky, for have it to have a therapeutic tool. So in each section, there's photographs, there's worksheets, there's activities you can do with your team. Um, so it's been an amazing journey. It's been a huge learning journey. Um, there takes each value of trauma-informed practice, which people just talk about trust, safety, relationships, behavior is communication, and it really unpicks them. What does that look like? What do I need to see? Knowing that many of us work in traumatized systems, many of us work in systems that are unhealthy, that are unwell, that are in toxic stress. So how do we take what we know about trauma, some of the awareness, and how do we bring that alive? So that's just a little bit of a flavor. As you can tell, I'm very excited about these books. Um, I And thank you for those who are here who have contributed. Um, I was reading my mum a few extracts yesterday and she was crying because she was so moved by some of the things that people had said and written. There's lots of things of lived and living experiences, survivors of abuse. Um, there's things from the troubles in Northern Ireland. There's things about Islamophobia. I mean, it really is um, a huge collective. But at the heart, which is why Lisa invited me here alongside these other fantastic people, is about connections, is about relationships, is relational trauma requires relational repair. So I'm going to shut up and be quiet, but I hope that gave a little bit of a flavour. Um, I'm really pleased to be with so many other people and amazing books so thank you so much thank you so much karen sound off and please show your appreciation to the amazing karen it's hard to keep putting your sound on and off isn't it it's a nightmare uh, we're about we'll all be together again soon we do the best we can online karen thank you so much that was fantastic and what you kind of really raised for me was the things that are really difficult is this kind of continuous extreme indiv individualism where the problem is continuously located in the person rather than as having this opportunity to think about the broader picture and to think about what, what systems are in place that create harm, what barriers are around people that create harm. Um, I hope you've all still got me because I feel like my internet connection has gone a bit wobbly. Can you see me and hear me? Am I all okay? Yeah, you're fantastic. Um, having a bit of a Wi-Fi morning this morning. So yeah, that's brilliant and really shapes and frames. I think you there's a point where if you've really grasped and understood trauma, that you have to move into the systems and into the services that are around people. It is the logical conclusion. So Karen's book, I feel incredibly passionate, books, I feel incredibly passionate about. Thank you very much. Next up, let me introduce you to the very lovely Andy Briley. Okay, good morning, everybody. Um, no pressure following you, Karen, and <laughs> your energy. Um, so, like I said before, my name's Andy uh, Briley. I am a child after and care leaver specialist, and I've been for about 15 years in Leeds Youth Justice Service. Um, and that primarily means that I'm working with the looked after children and care leavers that come into the youth justice system and trying to reduce that disproportionality. Um, and my book, Connecting with Young People in Trouble, Risk, Relationships, 
and lived experience was really um, my wanting after writing a first book about my lived experience of how I came to work in my current role, which is a unique one, I guess, because I was incarcerated in a young offenders institution when I was just turned 17 and then went on a spiralling um, kind of revolving door in and out of custody for um for over four sentences and that primarily stemmed from my care experience and intergenerational trauma from my mother etc um and eventually somehow managed to wiggle my way into working in the of justice service which is really 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 um unusual and so when i first got that job i i kind of thought this is a really unusual situation so i started just typing things about my childhood and that um, turned into a book. It never meant to do that. It was really a reflection uh, manual for me to work out why I'd made so many poor choices and been addicted to heroin before I'd officially left school, etc. And it turned into a book. And I sent, I think Brian, I've just seen Brian's the publisher on the um, on the call. So I sent him uh, the manual, uh, the, the manuscript, and he sent me back and said, I'll publish it. And so that was fantastic. And it was a bit about my background and how I came into working in youth justice. But when I talk about lived experience, it's not necessarily that I'm talking about my lived experience of custody or addiction or childhood trauma. I've now been a youth justice uh, professional for 15 years, so that's also my lived experience. So connecting with young people in trouble is, I would describe it as a dual perspective um, of somebody that's lived on both sides of the criminal justice fence. And I see almost everything through a relational lens. So to build on exactly what Karen was talking about earlier, in the 15 years that I've worked in youth justice along some fantastic people, and I've been really blessed to have the opportunity to do what I do and work with extremely vulnerable young people. I still suppose, I, I suppose I reflect on a daily basis to think about, not just reflect on my own practice, but reflect on the institution that I'm working in and how that can actually be helpful and also become problematic for the people that come into the, to the, to the system. And um, so the aim of the connecting with young people in trouble was to provide practitioners with an in-depth reflection manual, I guess, from my lived experience on both sides of the justice fence, for them to really home in and think about everything that's going on around them. So not just their practice, but their institution, the processes. Um, and particularly for me, the interesting dynamic between risk and relationships. Um, and it's not necessarily that I'm arguing in the book that we should get rid of risk management because, of course, people who come into the criminal justice system are involved in behaviours that um, impact on other people in a negative way and that needs to be managed. My concern really is about how it's applied. And if you have create institutions that are fundamentally driven by risk management processes, then the relationships will fall by the wayside and then institutions won't be, um, won't be trauma-informed, almost like as an unintended byproduct of having a risk management-led um, institutions. So if, I'll give you an example. I think if we had youth justice services that were um, engaging for a particular demographic in society that comes in, you are managing the risk because they're with you. They're wanting to come into the services. If we're using language like intervention, supervision, reviews, processes, um, that's not, from my experience as a young person, that's not going to engage me. So you, you're going to be recording that you're managing my risk, but not necessarily managing my risk. So that's the kind of thinking behind connecting with young people in trouble. But before I finish, I thought what might be a nice thing for me to do is just read a quick passage from the book. Um, so and I was Lisa suggested this and I had a dig through. I was thinking, how do I pick a one passage? But I thought this paragraph on page 167 does capture 
the essence of the book. So um, on page 167, this is the paragraph. So I felt ashamed of my relational trauma and adversity as a child. So I suppressed my authenticity to deal with it. Addiction and crime helped me bury it in a place so dark it needed a gentle light from someone else's flame on their candle to help me find it again. I believe for young people like myself, practitioners in justice, social care, mental health or drug and alcohol professions will be more effective if we share our flame to reignite the flames of those that are sitting in the dark. I rarely reflected or discussed it during my adolescence with professionals because while being punished and judged, I simply didn't have the trust required to do so. In the words of Bren Brown, if we share our story with someone who responds with empathy and understanding, shame can't survive. I got a little bit emotional then, sorry. I think when I practice that, I didn't get emotional. So I don't know why I've done that this morning. Um, so that's the essence of my book. I will shut up and pass back over to Lisa so she can introduce the next person. But thanks Thank for listening. You. Thank you so much, Andy. Again, sound off and appreciation. You know, and when um, listen to the love, listen to the love. Uh, you know, you bring something. We all bring something of ourselves into um, into our work. It's, it's not possible to not do that. Uh, and it feels emotional when you have that moment, however much we sometimes try to not have that moment, it just kind of takes us. And it was beautiful to share that with you where it just kind of took you in that moment. Um, I have put into the chat that all the proceeds from your book are going to a charity, but I couldn't remember which charity it was. Would you just remind me and let everyone know which charity you're supporting so yeah so since i started you've justice i guess one of my things was about giving back because obviously my behaviors did cause problems in my own community so since i started working with youth justice and doing the work with young people we've always supported martin house hospice so the royalties from connecting with young people go to martin house hospice which is for terminally ill children Thanks, Lisa. I forgot to mention that. That's beautiful. Thank you. That's all right. Thank you so much, and thank and thank you for bringing, just for bringing your wonderfulness uh, into the into the space. That's brilliant. Uh, you better have a little read of the comments because there's a lot of love going on in that chat box for you right now. So while you're having a little read and feeling the love, I'm going to pass over to the very wonderful Adele Bates. Um, before we get into it, so every morning um, I pick a card and you're going to love this, Lisa. Look at the card I picked today. Yay! It's Connect, <laughs> um, which I thought was very serendipitous. So, as I said, I'm a behaviour and education specialist. And what that really means is that I've had juice thrown on my head. I've been whacked by a skateboard. <laughs> And I have taught a year seven, 11 year old pupil how to read their very first word. So what I do is work with school leaders, teachers, pupils, teaching assistants, lately as well, more homeschooling parents and carers to support our young people with behavior needs in schools or the pupils with SEMH, social, emotional. And my thing is always about it's not about getting them through their timetables or getting them an exam. Those are important things for the game that we call society. And 
I am passionate about enabling these young people who are sometimes the most vulnerable young people in our society. I'm passionate about empowering them to become a positive part of social change because that's what I see that we need. So my book is called Miss I Don't Give a Shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Engaging with challenging behaviour in schools. Now, if you've ever worked um, in a school, (laughs) you may have heard that phrase or a a variation of it. And it was quite fun. I am... when I first sent off off my proposal to my publisher and I kind of very shyly was like, could I call it Miss I Don't Give a Shit? And I had to to go through all sorts of hoops for that. Um, And the Americans, the American bit of the publishers had to spend weeks thinking about it. Anyway, it's got through. But it's really important to me that it is that title because if you, and I can see there's lots of names here that I recognise, if you are a person who works with these kinds of vulnerable young people, you will know like I do, that that miss I don't give a shit, that's just the surface. And behind that, there's so much going on. Karen was talking about some of that, um, the behaviours, the communication, etc. And that's what this book is. So it's a guide and a conversation around how we engage these young people in learning. And um, it's full of uh, real life scenarios, student voice. I'm going to share a little bit with you in a second. Um, interviews with experts. And there's a couple of those people I've interviewed in the room. Lisa is one of them. And I think I've seen Rachel Tomlinson outside. A bit jealous. I think I've seen you as well. Um, and I also touch on relevant theory. And then um, from that, oh, there, there we go, Rachel. Hi. Um, from there, it was really important to me that this book was really practical. I'm imagining that my main audience um, is teachers, teaching assistants, people working in schools who I'm aware have very little time. So at the end of every chapter, there's an action box that says, what could you do next lesson with zero to very little planning next week and long term so that we can start building in longer term solutions for supporting these young people. So if you follow me on Twitter, you will see um, occasionally the hashtag insult of the week and this was something that's developed for a couple of years people join in and tell me how they've been insulted that week um, by students that they work with and these have actually become the start of every chapter so um, I want to just share with one of those um, with you so there I am I'm collecting a student from a taxi and this student comes every morning in the taxi but um, usually it's not me collecting her student Miss, why are you collecting me today? Me. Um, Because it's my turn today. Um, Is there anything wrong with me collecting you? Student, your face. (laughs) Which is just a perfect example (laughs) of um, something that we can then unpick and work out what's going on around that. And I think that um, the best thing I want to do just to kind of finish off now is to read you a small extract from the... um, start of the book that I think really captures what we're doing here. My vision for education is one in which all differences are included and welcomed. Education is flexible, relevant and leads towards positive social change. This is at the heart of what this book is about. I believe that pupils with behavioural needs who challenge the adults around them 
have the potential to not just learn their timetables or get a GCSE, but to be the key players in the social positive change our society so clearly requires. Those key players could be widely known policymakers shifting nationwide infrastructure, or they could be the volunteer at the CAB who supports a young person from attempted suicide to find the support they need. I know this to be true because I have the honour of knowing adults who have come out of this transformational journey themselves, some of whom you will meet in the interviews accompanying each chapter. And this is where us, the educators of the young people, come in. We may feel sometimes that what we do with our pupils is small and insignificant, and yet we have the position, power, and therefore responsibility to positively influence our micro-communities. Sometimes it can feel like we're a mere cog in a machine with no agency, that a government, a curriculum, or an inspection body are what dictate who you as an educator and how you, how you should teach. That is not the case. What we do in our classrooms on a micro level makes a difference. The community we create in our schools can be the difference between safely belonging and thriving for a pupil, or being excluded, lost in the system, and becoming one of those negative statistics. How we relate to our pupils, the relationships that we build make a difference to their lives. You have that influence. You have that position of power and the responsibility to look after the most valuable resource in all of this, you. It's not a coincidence that this is where we begin in chapter one. In addition, over the year I took to write this book and interview the experts, I discovered an overriding theme from all of them, no matter which aspect of supporting behavior we were discussing self-care and reflection for the adults first. Yes, this book is a practical how-to in many ways. My desire, however, is that it is also a space to dream and connect with a wider vision of what education could be for all and realize what those first steps to that place might be for you. Tomorrow morning, starting with the delightful 9F2 in the temporary mobile building with the broken heating. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Brilliant. There we go. Sound off. Sound off. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, what one of the things that I'm really passionate about, which I hope I've managed to pull together really well this morning, is that it's what we do individually in those moments it's what we do in our teams it's what we do in our organizations it's what we do in our school cultures and listening to you Adele is really pulling on that in the moment relational approach so we've had that wonderful look at um, organizational uh, trauma-infused environments we've had Andy talking about some of the um, system uh, harms that we can seek to do something about. And we've had you, Adele, now talking about those individual moments that we have with people. So thank you so much for that, that we have with our children. So next up, our final um, author this morning is Mark. And I don't know what Mark's going to do. Mark, you will find will do what Mark does. Mark, over to you, you wonderful person. See, I'm trying to interpret what you're trying to suggest, Lisa. Yes, I am a positive disruptor, a trouble causer, a big mouth um, in terms of all those things. I can see Tim smiling, going, yes, we know that already, Mark. 
um, in terms of that part. I, I suppose I was arguing, I've changed what I'm going to say based on our lovely colleagues sharing stuff. I think one thing I would say is that in push me to write the book is I've always believed in the last 25 years of working with children, families and communities that the quality of our work will never surpass the quality of the relationships we have. And I struggled years ago to articulate what that meant. And the bit that pushed me to drive restorative practice, and my book is first and foremost a book about relationships. And tell me a professional who doesn't believe in relationships, but show me a system that allows and creates the conditions for relationship-based practice to be acknowledged. So I wasn't planning on doing this, but is there's a quote by Einstein that I live and die by, and it won't be the one you're thinking of, but he says, not everything we count counts, and not everything that counts can be easily counted. And I got frustrated for 20 years that we hit targets, but we miss the point if we're not careful. I also have a couple of phrases that we've got to work with what's strong rather than what's wrong. And we should see our children, families and communities, whether that's a school or a child protection conference, whether that's a staff team, as a community of possibilities, not a community of problems. And I get really frustrated with this restorative practice word and relationship-based work. And Karen shared that around the word trauma about a fruit bowl and reception. Relationship-based practice isn't about high-fiving children in a corridor or saying good morning. That's good manners, my mum taught me. What, what my book, first and foremost, is a book about relationships. It's a book about compassion. It's a book about behavior. And more importantly, colleagues and friends, it's a book about our behaviors. Because if we're not modeling what we're teaching, we're teaching something different. And modeling's like breathing. You can't not do it. My book's about change. But if you're already doing this stuff, it's not about change. It's about expanding what you do already. Move the invisible to visible articulate to others and do it more on purpose, more deliberately, more creatively. My book's about children, young people. It's about us. It's a book about collaboration. How do we get alongside people? It's a book about communities. And it's also a book about restorative practice. You know, put all those things together and you have a vision for restorative practice, but do them all and you have restorative practice in action. And I just think, you know, the words, and I'm going to change it for the last little 30 seconds, Lisa, but I suppose Adele flashing that card triggered it for me is a key phrase in my book is built on a Peter Black, um, Block quote that connect before content, you know, connect before content. And I just think we forget that sometimes. I'm a dad of five children, you know, 12-hour days sat in this prison cell of a room, also known as an office sometimes during covid I forget sometimes to come out of my office and even smile at my own children. You know, I forget to ask them how the day is when they ask me what's for tea and they've been sat downstairs for about five hours before I've finished. So I suppose I'm just going to end on getting you to think about the word culture and practice. And the phrase I want to leave you with is my book is all about culture, behaviours and practice. And I think culture exists in any organisation, in any school, in any family, in any community. But is it by design or is it by default? And I want practice by design, not by default. And hopefully my books are really easy reads that you can read over a coffee or that Easter egg our colleague was flashing around before. And you can pick up and put down. And um, yeah, for those people who've read it, I can recognize a few um, faces. Thank you for your lovely comments you've sent me in the past. And um, thank you for letting me share a little bit about what I do and what my book's about. 
and thank you very much. Oh, Mark, what a great way to pull all of that to a close. And I think you know what I'm what we can really take from this, what we can really feel is around relational wealth. If we truly understand that it is relationships and creating opportunities for connection um, and having the experiences within those high quality relationships, if we really understand that, why do we still not build systems around that model? That I think is every person in this room is our dream and our hope for for the future and what role we're going to play um, individually in our individual interactions in the in the services that we work in and in the systems that we operate in that is the vision I think that all of us have that we are working towards every day um, fantastic the comments are coming up at the side. It's brilliant. And I'd really like to open up the floor. And I think if you can find the um, hand, it, because there's quite a few of us in here, um, then do put your hand up. If not, then use a reaction um, and uh, put that on your screen now, and then I can come and find you. So you can ask any of the authors anything you like. This is your moment. Do we have anyone with any reactions up on their screen? I'm sifting through. I know someone has a burning question. Go on, Feaster. Say again. Should I just go? I've put my hand up. I know you've got like a proper hand. I was looking like for a big yellow emoticon, you see. All right, sorry. I've not. I need my daughter to train me and she's more familiar with Zoom than I am and effects and that kind of thing. Uh, Yeah, I just wanted to say I'm not uh, kind of in education at the moment, um, but uh, I'm looking to set up a a not-for-profit project to bring some mental health and neurodiversity content to schools and just kind of listen. I I connected kind of through Adele, part of a a membership with her, and so that's why I've joined this, this call. But already I think... I want to buy all these books and uh, absorb all this knowledge. Um, so if any of the authors would like to kind of get involved in this project, uh, which will be to kind of bring content like this to schools through an online kind of video uh, platform discussion, um, then, then that would be great. But I, I, I just just also kind of just a general question in terms of how they've got into the kind of publishing around uh, sharing their stories in terms of, getting a publisher and you know it sounds like a, a number of written a number of books so kind of how have they got into this and found that as a good platform for kind of sharing their experience yeah I mean I think I would say that all the authors that are here have been um, around working for many I mean I've been around for 30 years I heard Mark say 25 Andy say 15 um, Adele, I'm not sure. Karen has also been around. I think you must be in your second decade now. So I think there's um, a long period of time that people are working in practice um, and we'll all have quite different routes into writing. Um, certainly if I shared mine, it would take us to half 11. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but um, I'm sure that... Um, you know, maybe Andy's already talked about his, um, Karen's been writing for 12 
years. So I think that might be something to take up outside of this space. Yeah, uh, so a bit of, do you find any barriers in terms of getting your content out mainstream to schools and teachers? I think that's probably also a question for um, uh, perhaps another time, unless anyone else would like to add, say anything to that. Um, I would just um, say, I know it's really um, kind of uh, key, but um, just write, because I won't go into my publishing story, but it's quite funny. Um, it's in the acknowledgements part of the book. But the reason I got uh, the, the deal was because I'd been writing a blog for two years. And when I started that blog, my mum read it. <laughs> like That was it. And now I know that there are actually thousands of people who are reading it. So it is just start, I think. Yeah, I'm not particularly thinking for me. I'm just thinking a means of actually... Like this is an event which showcases these authors, which obviously fit really nicely together as a package. So is there a network kind of out there within education to get to get that out that already exists or does it not really exist? I think there is, there is a big network and there is a network on Twitter is a huge network of professionals. Although I would say that there is another Twitterverse that runs alongside it that has very different views and visions and ideas about how we do this work. So I think it's very much about finding your community and plugging into that community. I mean, I don't know about anyone else, but I'm very much of the view that I'm not interested in dragging somebody off their path and plonking them onto mine and saying, this is the way. What I'm interested in is walking on a path uh, in the way that feels authentic and has integrity. And if you resonate with that, then you can we can walk on that path together. So events like that, for, like this for me, are very much about finding your community um, and, and plugging into that. And I would absolutely recommend that people if they want to continue and they've met, so they've seen somebody on here that they want to connect with, pop your email in here, drop them a little private message, use this as a connection opportunity because we need each other. You know, we do this together. That's the only way. So uh, I hope that answers your question. And thank you so much for, um, for uh, joining us today and coming into the space and asking your questions. Who is next? Who would next like like to ask one of the authors a question? Thank you, Lucy. Yes, walk your authentic path and find your community. Next question. Quite shy, quite shy group on a Saturday morning, eating cake, Easter eggs, probably need another coffee. The dog needs a wee. I know how this all works. Tim. 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 Oh, uh, we love Tim. So, so I wouldn't. I just. Um. I put my. I put my sort of um comment in the chat actually, but um maybe I'll ask a question about it because I was just sort of think feeling it this morning and catching the community feels and really enjoying the session and thinking that um. You know, there's a way of going about things where you're building a career and mindful of your own professional development. But it seems like the four of you have really built community along the way. And, uh, you know, that word that popped out, um, connection in a serendipitous style, it's like, how have you been able to build community? Have you done that consciously? And have you got any tips for people that are 
um, are, want to join uh, with others and create sort of movements around the work. Do you have a preference who answers that, Tim? Oh gosh, no. <laughs> so I'll, I'll leave it to you to uh, to uh, to do. Well, I can probably I'll start us off with just a couple of sentences. Um, I think that has been the driver for me. So the focus on community, the focus on connection, the focus on collaboration, the work then follows from that. And I think what you're alluding to is that sometimes we come across people perhaps in quite higher higher positions that perhaps are uh, what I call perhaps careerists. I don't want to be negative, but the focus isn't on the community. The focus is on the individual. And I guess for me, that would be the main difference. And I, I'm so grateful for all the connections that I have. Um, would anyone else like to answer that? Uh, I'll just say a little bit. I feel like I could say so much. It's so nice to see you, Tim. I'm sending virtual hugs. Um, I think for me, my childhood and background was being brought up in, in Africa, in lots of different countries in Africa. And I think there was such a feeling of the power and the importance of community and that no man is an island and it takes a village to raise a child. Um, one of my mum's favourite quotes is, a stick can be easily broken, but sticks together are unbreakable. So I think for me, there's something so phenomenal about constantly learning and growing and having those sort of life cheerleaders and the collective. Um, and I think it has a lot of it's been organic. A lot of it has been being privileged to work in local authorities, in prisons, in schools with people who inspire me every day, particularly the young people. But Twitter has been a phenomenal community. You know, uh, Lisa and I voice note each other several times a week. Um, there's lots and lots of people. But I think to me, it's the sense of having that passion of constantly growing, constantly learning. Every day, there's a new gift of, um, and we are better together. Um, but also to think about um, trauma-infused, trauma-informed doesn't work if it's professional or academic. It is about real-world practice. It is around relationship connections. Um and so one of the biggest values is collaboration, is community, is transparency. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's all about relationships, relationships to the values, relationships to each other um, and constantly trying to connect this stupid, stupid word kind of socially distanced we are not socially distancing we are physically distancing but we are socially together how can we be that sort of learning collaborative so that's just a little bit of a sense of the the feeling of community for me and Dan Siegel says we shouldn't have the word me we should get rid of it we should have we m-w-e because we are all constructed from each other you know Absolutely brilliant, Karen. I'm just putting all the links back up in the side box again for people. Um, just to sort of add as well, I think if we're being authentic, then what we'll find is that some of our early childhood drivers are what we arrive into the space with. So for me, connection, because it was severed, belonging, because I couldn't find a space to belong, connection and belonging are huge drivers and I think sometimes it's worth us thinking about that and maybe when we're not 
um, and I'll come to you, Jade, that's brilliant. Maybe when we're not finding that connection with somebody that we work with, that we want to take on a journey with us, maybe it's about being curious um, to think about, I wonder what their drivers are, because to be relational and to think about relational wealth, you have to imagine if you haven't experienced it, relational poverty. And if you haven't experienced relational poverty, then you have to imagine it. And imagining it is painful because you have to think about the people that you love not being with you. So it's quite deep work. It's much deeper work than we necessarily think about. So maybe think about your what 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 are your core kind of early it might be that you had deep connection. It's just that for me it was a disconnection. So something to think about. Jade, where is Jade in the room? Um, I'm directing the question to Karen but it's not solely for Karen it's just because I I know you've talked a fair bit about it in the public space Karen but if anyone else has any burning points I'd love to hear those too. Um, I've noticed that you've started to really weave in the importance around you know privilege and oppression and intersectionality when talking about trauma and being trauma-informed and I'm just wondering if you could speak a little bit to that. Oh, Jay, that's a question, isn't it? So nice to see you as well, albeit virtually. Um, Yeah, so I'll just say something teeny about that. What has happened in the public sphere is that people talk about anti-racism, people talk about human rights, people talk about trauma-informed, but they've lost where trauma-informed came from. Trauma-informed started in the 60s, and it started with those trailblazers from a anti-racist human rights social justice you can't talk about being trauma informed if you don't think about cultural humility and that's not just about race although of course that's huge that's about all of those social graces about religion about marital status about where you live but also it is those concepts of power and privilege and and all of those intersectionality but when we think about trauma it's not just relational trauma it's cultural trauma intergenerational trauma community trauma collective trauma which I talk about all in the book so absolutely to me you cannot talk about trauma if you don't think about the intersectionality with culture um, and if you don't have a very clear position on power on privilege on oppression um, and be hopeful disruptors from an individual level and a system level so I could go on and on but I'll say just that little bit thanks for the question fantastic Karen thank you and um that's uh, that's where it's all at for me we have just um a few minutes left and we have Sandra and Anna um and Melissa's put a question up but I think we're going to run out of time so I'm wondering does anyone have a question for Andy Adele or Mark Anna Sandra Anna Anna does Okay, go for well, it, Anna. Yeah, yeah, it was it was kind of a question for all. So I'd be really grateful if if um, Andy and Mark um, uh, could answer it. And um, particularly thinking about working in a traumatized system, 
I work in children's mental health services in NHS, which is a deeply traumatised system in many ways. Um, what, what are your top tips for when you're in the system, you're working in the system for bringing about this change from within? Right, I'm going to go to um, Mark first, then um, Andy, and then I think I'd like to take a question for Adele just to keep a nice balance um, and then we'll close. So, Mark, and, Andy. Uh, uh, I suppose I'm just looking at the clock, so I'm going to keep it really brief, but I suppose that I always think that interventions don't change lives, people do. And paperwork doesn't keep children or adults safe, people do. And there's evidence behind that if you want to connect with me. Um, so I think what I would say is that phrase I said, bring your human side to work. We talk about three Ps, personal, private and professional. We're not suggesting anyone brings the private self to work, but the ability to relate to each other is, is deeper than the ability to relate to the professional. So I always bring my personal self to work, you know, in terms of that part. So I just remember a couple of those little phrases as well. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I am going to go to Andy very quickly, check in with Sandra. Becca's going to take us to the final one. Okay. So the final chapter in my book was actually a model that I came across listening to Dr. Dan Siegel. And he called it parts of his presence, attunement, resonance and trust. So with my experience on both sides of the criminal justice system, I slightly amended his part to Pact, so presence, attunement, connection and trust. And I go into them in real, in real detail. And from a criminal justice point of view, what, what I've been able to do is navigate that traumatising system because I can position myself and see the service through the, the eyes of the, of the child that's coming through it. Um, and so on an individual level, the kind of back end of my book does present a, a kind of a model that you can use to help children navigate that traumatising system. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Sandra, very quickly. And then finally to Becca. Um, for me, we in the Irish education system, we have a lot of change of staff every year. OK, and I know that that can cause an impact when you're actually trying to create a, or generate a trauma informed or a responsive organisation. Do you have any tips in terms of actually bringing new people into that environment who may not have been exposed to a trauma-informed to accelerate their their, um, progression because for us so it actually falls down is on the turnover of staff. I'm wondering is there kind of a ratio of turnover staff that is safe enough okay and keeps the momentum going? Is there any research around that area at all? Uh, Adele would you like to take that on? Yeah, I'll start it. But in terms of the research, maybe that's something more Karen's area. But it's it's a scenario I know very, very well. Um, I work in specialist schools in the UK. Um, and I've also worked, I've done some work in Finland as well. And despite them having lots of very nice, shiny things about their education system, <laughs> I've, heard, um, I've got lots of that about that on my blog. But um, it's, it is always an issue. And I think... Um, the and it's kind of chicken and eggy isn't it because Mm. you're kind of going well we need to support them to support the kids but then they're not Mm. here and it's like a round and round and round thing and Mm. I think that what I what I've seen work really well is that the induction for new staff is really Mm. really embedded and it's it's like it's almost like someone can't walk in the school Mm. without or or within the establishment without that um and 
that works really well. The, the first chapter of my book is all about self-care for staff um, for this very reason. So that's what I'm talking about, chicken and egg, because, yes, we've got to introduce new staff. And also we need to try and retain the staff that are there, because if we are working with young people who have been through trauma, then that affects us, the adults who are working with them. And, and we need to account for that. And it always really shocks me that in places that I work, if you're a therapist, to be a therapist with the young people I work with, you have to have supervision. That is a part of the professional role. Yet as a teacher or a teaching assistant, you don't. And it just blows my mind. I mean, I'm working with some teaching assistants at the moment. Bless them. They're 18 because of the wages that TAs are given. And, and you know, they're, they're great, but they are 18. You know, and it's, it's this kind of chicken egg thing. I'm going to pass to Karen because she might have some kind of research well, stuff. I'm very aware of time, so I'll, um, I, I won't really say much. All I'll just say is um, there's a huge amount around induction, training package, how you do that with recruitment, staff well-being uh, that I cover loads in the book. But I'm, I want to honour people's time. So, so, so sorry, but I, I won't go into it in too much detail. I'm going to bring us to a close and um, just and, and Rachel, who features in my book and is actually the free chapter uh for if you signed up for the free chapter that's with Rachel who's in the room um someone's talking about supervision uh which is critical so Becca was asked a question um which is really about which sentence would you want everyone to leave with from your book and we have come to the end it's a fantastic question but I'm sure everyone would be rummaging around their books going oh god there's just so much I don't know so I'm just going to read something very quickly that I think will conclude us out of here nicely so the message throughout this book my book is that it's never too late to integrate what has happened to us into the fabric of our being in a way that facilitates us living a meaningful life I've met people right up to 70 years old who have finally found that intersection between an available, meaningful relationship and the capacity to access it. What is vital to take away from understanding the beginning of our lives and our capacity to heal across the life course is that prevention is always going to be the goal. While it is true that we can heal from our early childhood experiences throughout our lives, The younger we are, the easier it is because our internal brain architecture is so busily forming and taking shape in those earlier years. However, our capacity to heal is phenomenal. And we should always remember that no matter where we meet a person, when we meet them, where they are, with compassion, an opportunity can unfold. You've all been stunning and amazing. Thank you so much for coming today. Turn your sound off so we can hear some noise. And thank you, So good to hear you. So good to see you. Have a beautiful day and thank you. Thank you so much and the belonging. Bye everyone, virtual hugs and love. Thank you. Have a nice rest of your weekend. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, and hello to Christina, who also contributed. Bye-bye, everyone. (laughs) Bye. Bye Bye-bye.